in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend, Dustin. How are you doing, sir? Hello, I'm doing great. Ready for another thrill-tastic episode. I'm a Tennessee graduate. You're a Tennessee graduate. You got it. I think it's time for another Tennessee graduate for an all orange and white episode. What do you say? I think I've got just the guy. Who do you have? Chase. Chase, say hi, everybody. Welcome, Chase Routon. If you hear Rocky Top, that's just because, uh, you know, that's what's going on here. But uh, yeah, I'm Chase Routon. Uh, nice to meet everybody. First time on. Long time listener. Chase. This is a movie that has some amazing visual effects that we're going to cover today. But what movie blew you away with its visual effects kind of the most? The first time that you took it in, it made you just go, wow. A Jurassic Park's definitely one up there. Just, you know, the, the effects of you know, the dinosaurs, all that stuff. Uh, it was just pretty, pretty groundbreaking at the time. It was, what, 96, I think, is when Jurassic Park came out. So big stuff. And then Lord of the Rings had to be, had to be up there as well for me. Great choices. And Dustin, how about you? What's the movie that just made you go like, wow, with the visual effects the first time you saw it? I think both of the things Chase said are better than mine and are more impactful to my life than the one I chose. Um, it also helps that Jurassic Park has killer music. But for, for me, the, the movie I chose was Sin City because of the style, not because of the effects, we'll say. It just kind of changed how I felt a movie could be done. But if I had to zoom out, man, Jurassic Park really was a huge game changer. It's a good choice, Chase. It is a good choice, and I actually wrote that one down. On, <laughs> I, I have two as well. And Jurassic Park, to me, it just made a real impression to me as a young movie watcher. Uh, I was just captivated. And it's the perfect blending of you know computers that were done to do things we hadn't seen before, but also the practical effects are just outstanding. Clever so, girl. Yeah. And the, I had another one written down. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. It it seems like it's made way later than it is. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is is the liquid metal, the T-1000. But it's I think amazing. you do get some awesome, like, Arnold in great makeup. We have to give credit to those makeup artists that can do the astounding. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, the half face. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, Chase, what's the last movie you saw? So sticking with the 90s, I actually got in kind of a, a 90s rhythm here. Uh, it was Dante's Peak, one of uh, Pierce Brosnan's lesser known films. But yeah, great one. Definitely nostalgic for me. I had seen it as a child and popped right on there. It was great. Yeah, I'm a Brosnan fan. I like his Bond work for sure. Uh, I, I even there's no bad Bond for me, so I I, I accept all of it. Um, even even die another day, I'll I'll I'll, I'll still give it a hug. So, um, Dustin, how about I think of Mamma Mia first every time when I think Pierce Brosnan, I think Mamma Mia. <laughs> Dustin, how about you? What's the last movie you got? I have a friend here in Austin who invited me over to uh, help do a little bit of room construction, and he was like, "Hey, we're gonna watch a movie." Uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. And I didn't know he'd never seen it. Uh, and he didn't know that it was one of my favorites. Uh, so I had not seen it probably in several years, but 
I am a Wes Anderson fan. Uh, I'm, I'm maybe a Wes Anderson groupie. I, I really dig his style. I'm not waiting in line to see them in theaters. I just I appreciate it all. I think some you know you may know that I've got actually some Wes Anderson prints hanging in my room. He's a fan. Um, so seeing that movie again, I reminded how great it is. My last movie that I saw, I watched it with my little man, and uh, was How to Train Your Dragon Two. It went over really well with him, and because it went over so well with him, I had a fun time too. That is a really, really popular franchise. I mean, it's uh, kids and adults alike love How to Train Your it's, Dragon. It's worth watching. Yeah, as sure. It's one of those, uh, I think, as well that has uh, those jokes, you know, for for the parents that the kid goes a little over the kid's head, but uh, the parents get them, and you're just you know, a little <laughs> chuckle out of those. You know. But today, Dustin, what movie are we going to be talking about? At long last, we are talking about The Matrix. I don't know how we made it to 173 shows without having done this movie, but here it is. You're right. It is The Matrix. It stars Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, and Hugo Weaving, and oh, Joey Pants, Joe Pantoliano as well. (laughs) I'm going to throw him in there. Uh, Budget is $63 million, and it grosses uh, so much more, $171 million uh, domestically alone. It, it places it fifth in the box office in 1999. It comes just behind Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, and ahead of Tarzan. The number one movie from 1999 was Star Wars The Phantom Menace. The Matrix gets an 8.7 from IMDb. The critics of Rotten Tomatoes are pretty similar. It gives it an 88%, and the audience score is 85%. It is a four-time Academy Award winner. It won for Best Film Editing, Sound, Sound Effects, Editing, and Visual Effects. It is also a two-time BAFTA winner, British Film Awards, and a was nominated for three more of those. And then uh, it won two Saturn Awards and was nominated for seven. Figured it would have done better there at the Saturn Awards. But uh, uh, hot take, The Matrix, in my opinion, should have received an, at least a nomination for Best Picture and Best Cinematography. Um, it is the only four-time Oscar winner to not get a Best Picture nomination. Now, they expanded it later, so it would have more likely have received one under today's criteria. But at the time, it wasn't included in the smaller round of nominations. So the nominations that year were American Beauty, which won, as Cider House Rules, Green Mile, The Insider, and Sixth Sense. Now, that's a good pack of movies, but, I mean, it's The Matrix. So, Chase... Why don't you talk about it? Had, what you have, have you seen this movie before? What's your background with it? What's it like coming back to it today? So I had seen it before. Funny story. So I had not seen it. And uh, Dustin and I were actually roommates in college, uh, 2008. And I had not seen it at that point. And I've never seen Dustin be more disappointed in me. I <laughs> shared, that, uh, shared, that mo- uh, shared that with him. And uh, that night. I, that I told him I hadn't seen it. We we sat down and we watched it because he I, he said that I just had to and uh, loved it. And I'm, next day we watched the last two, we watched uh, two and three. So we pretty much binged it uh, back then. So loved it back then. Uh, definitely holds up now. So yeah, really excited to to dive into it. Yeah, and do you feel like it's changing for you? Over the years, I think a little bit. Yeah, it's given me a little bit more perspective. I mean, there are certainly lines in there. Uh, Agent Smith's got a few a few lines in there that uh, you know, looking back now, you know, talking about humans and you know the way we spread and virus, the way he says, is <laughs> <laughs> definitely eye opening now with everything's going on. But, but yeah, it's uh, there's new perspective uh, from a college kid to uh, an adult. Yeah, and Dustin, how about you? 
What was your introduction to The Matrix? I watched The Matrix in 2000, so the year after it came out, and I watched it at a friend's house, so not in theaters, but it was uh, something that kind of blew me away immediately. Um, so I needed to go, and this was back when I still bought movies, uh, I needed to go and buy it myself. It became something that I'd watch all the time. So I would say as of right now, I've seen it probably 30 or 40 times. Um, it, it is, and and Chase nominated this movie for us to cover tonight. Um, and as you mentioned, Russell, we made it a lot of shows without, without ever covering it. But I would say in my in my life, I've been asked, what's your favorite movie? And, you know, you depending on your mood or depending on what you've recently seen, that sometimes changes. But The Matrix is always in my head as maybe like the tip of my tongue first thing that I say. So um, I, I've seen it in middle school. I saw it all through high school. Chase, I'm sure that you and I had something important to do that weekend. Or, you know, heck, maybe even it was like the weekday. <laughs> I was like, I don't care what night class you have to go to. We're watching The Matrix now. Like, stole your car keys. You can't leave. And then I guess we had to go buy the other ones to watch the uh, uh, two and three the next day. But I think I actually went to uh, <laughs> Walmart and got the the four pack, the three movies and the Animatrix. And the Animatrix. Uh, Animatrix is solid, DVD. by the way. Well, I mean, of course, of of, of course. But I, I feel as if you know, it is going to be very easy to talk about the other movies of this franchise the same way. Yeah, like, we don't with, need to. Yeah, it's going to be so easy to. But we we. Uh, when it comes to like being able to introduce this movie to Chase, and then he he actually remembered that as kind of one of our memories of living together. Like, remember when we binge watched The Matrix? I'm like, it's, it's so great. It holds a special place in my heart. I definitely think that shows just how impactful it was. There, that I remember that as the first time too. I mean, it's not just about the movie; it's about the, the experience of watching. It. Totally, totally. Yeah, and. I, I watched it in 99 when it came out, and I do not do this. I do not go to the theater twice, typically. It has to be special to do that. Um, and so I don't remember which set of friends I saw it with, I, to be honest with you. That's how good the movie was. I didn't even remember who I went with. But then I told my parents, like, you you got to see this movie. They're like, you already saw it. Let's go to another movie. I'm like, no. Nah you should see this movie. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I did a double dip in the theater and absolutely I bought it when it came out. And I, I actually have, this is one of those three formats for me. I've owned a VHS DVD and now Blu-ray because I don't normally do this with any movie. So if you can't tell, I like this movie. Uh, it blew my mind with the content. The visuals were also good. Uh, it wasn't really driven as much by the visuals, but the, the action, the, everything went away. This just blew, you know, my mind. As a 14-year-old Russell, this is exactly what he needed in his life. I think there's also something to say about, like, you saw it in 99, I saw it in 2000, but the the world as portrayed in this movie, the, the things that are presented to you are maybe more so than anything else I can really think of right now as as cool. This was a cool movie. There are other aspects that have been presented. Like, you know, we've covered the movie Hackers, right? This has, like, the hacker's dream of what a hacker could be. The presence of police and government agents and military and being combated by these sort of pseudo-underground militia. This type of stuff just kind of, I think, 
you, you, it almost, you didn't know you were in the target audience until you came out of the movie theater going, what was this? And you had to spread it. You had to share it. Before we go into the spoiler wall, I just want to point out, like, sometimes I find that the, the disappointment people had of the, the, the sequels is, grows ever more disproportionate. They're not as good. There's no doubt about it. And you probably were really excited to see them. And this is probably what you're, you're probably talking about your expectations versus what you were given. But they're not as bad as I think as people will sometimes say. And on that disappointment that they had for the second two movies, often you'll find as time goes by is actually starting to affect for many people I talk to how, how groundbreaking and how the first one went down and I, I, it had been a little while since I'd seen it because I wore it to death. So I had put it down for a while. But coming back to it now was just like, oh, is this CGI going to hold up? Is this going to be good? And yeah, it was. It's got, it's, for me, it's got so many moments. I mean, just quotable moments. I mean, you know, meme, like just things that just stand the test of time. And uh, I feel like they always will. And, and I think yeah. it was possible for me to go into this podcast without having watched it again. I, I would say I'd be able to cover this the way our show works, even on a more detailed show, perhaps. I, I probably don't need to watch the movie again. It was just a delight to do it. Why wouldn't you want to? <clears throat> Why wouldn't Yeah. yeah. And, it was and, an excuse to be able to. <laughs> and, and Chase, what you said about so many moments, uh, there, there's not too many movies that string them along the way that this was done. Uh, and, and maybe... Maybe that's just because I already like it. One of the things I try to do, speaking of expectations when we come back to these movies, I try to watch it from the viewpoint of someone that has never seen it before. Like, does that make sense in the moment? Should I be confused if I didn't already know the movie and the lore backwards and forwards? And you know, you will be confused on this one. <laughs> occasionally you do find that. But you 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 know, as a as a person, you can't erase your memories of of, of what happens, but uh, there are just some things that uh, it it made me smile sitting on my couch, seeing something again, being like, oh, "There was somebody out there still hasn't quite seen this yet," and what what magic that must be to to see it. Absolutely. All right, there will be spoilers that lie ahead. So for anyone who hasn't seen the Matrix, do yourself a favor. Dustin's going to take your car keys, get comfortable. You're going to need to see this right now. You're getting a disappointing look right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There will be spoilers that lie ahead, so we will be back after these messages. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we will discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. All right, we're back, and this is your final warning. There will be spoilers that lie ahead. So, Dustin, for those who haven't seen The Matrix since 1999, will you refresh our memories? 
Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. But I guess I'll try. We open on a police raid on an old hotel, the intention being the apprehension of a hacker named Trinity. Three suit-clad agents arrive to inform the police that they are outmatched before a daring rooftop escape reveals the seemingly supernatural abilities of the hacker and her agent pursuer. We cut to Thomas A. Anderson under the hacker alias Neo, who upon meeting Trinity confirms that his search for the truth about the mystery of the Matrix and a man named Morpheus is warranted. And the next day he is both hunted by agents and contacted by Morpheus, who offers him the choice to continue to pursue the truth. His choice results in the revelation that the Matrix is a digital world pulled over the eyes of almost every living human on Earth, as the result of a long-waged war between humans and the AI-controlled machines they created. A small portion of the population searches the Matrix for people who can assist in the fight against the forever-encroaching machines, including a personal search for the reincarnation of a savior for humankind, who could turn the tide of the centuries-long battle, no who was known as The One. Neo eventually accepts the truth of the world, that most humans are born into a mental prison, acclimates to the real-world conditions of hiding underground, learns about the threat of agent programs that can body-jump between the people inside the Matrix, and embarks on his virtual training, ballistics, weapons, martial arts, to accept the mantle of The One as Morpheus believes. During a trip back inside the Matrix, one of the crew members betrays the effort, resulting in Morpheus' capture and the death of several of the crew members. In an attempt to save Morpheus, Neo and Trinity storm a military-protected skyscraper and get Morpheus to safety. The remaining 12 minutes is a fight for survival as Neo begins to believe in his potential power, overcomes death by Desert Eagle bullet penetration, and destroys the lead agent, resulting in a future that just might be saved after all. <sighs> no way. No way. <laughs> Whoa. Alright. So, we have a dystopian future. Uh, uh, this movie definitely is so influential. This movie is a fighting festival. It is a visual effects festival. The first thing we gotta say is this thing influenced everything that came after it within the action genre. Even superhero movies are influenced by this. The Matrix is a massively impactful movie. Uh, Chase, do you just see the Matrix like oozing through for the next oh, 10 years? Oh, I can see years? the code. I can see the code yeah. right now. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to describe just because it's, it's so, it's so great. But one of the things that I, I just, I loved about, about it is, uh, especially at the beginning, how they drive home. It's about choices, 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 choices. Uh, Neo's got to make a choice uh, to get to to follow Trinity, follow the White Rabbit, take the pill. It's about choices, and then his his fight about destiny. You know, the Oracle tells him, "I know you're going to hate this this whole thing with fate and everything, and you're going to fight it. You're not going to want it to be. And it's just about choices." And I I love that. I love the uh, you know it could have gone any way. You know, Neo could have taken the blue pill, and I think uh, even uh, Cipher says, "You know, why didn't why didn't I take the blue pill?" Yeah, it it. There's so many themes that are happening at the same time. It's a very smart movie. It, 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 and when you normally get these action fest packed movies, you don't expect or you don't ask from all of this great screenplay writing that, that's gone into this. This does it both really well. 
It really does. And I have to go back and re-inform the listener that this is a favorite of mine. So the next hour is going to sound like gushing because it is. <laughs> but also the, the the things that my you know my co-host and our guest are, are saying are all true. Now let's let's take a look into Chase's uh, discussion about choices. I think this has become um, a staple of uh, the the biggest powerhouse of uh, controlling the box office of the last twenty years, which are these big budget giant superhero movies. The focus on them as being people and as them accepting the mantle or choosing uh, is if it, if it has a basis or if you can trace it back to something. It may have been the success of this movie and its and its ability to, uh, like, as a cornerstone of that entire kind of action uh, part of the franchises, uh, but also with um, like other influences. I think the first thing, if you were to poll a hundred people as to what's the most influential thing about the Matrix, maybe they would go with a visual, which would be bullet time. You agree with me, Russell? That if you had to say, what's the thing that comes out of the Matrix, it would be bullet time. Yeah, I mean, it's the first, thing, it's the first thing. I mean, I mean, like I said, dystopian futures weren't so hot then. They've been pretty hot since the Matrix. Like they have. That's been, there's been a major stream of just dystopian future sequences. Science fiction in the mid-century, and we've talked about this, was incredibly optimistic. Look at like look at all the power of all the stuff that's going to happen to make our world a better <laughs> right. place and stuff like that. The Jetsons. Yeah. yeah. And Blade Runner was kind of ahead of its time and saying like, mm, the future's not a happy place. And so, um, you know, the 90s doesn't really dive into that as much. And yes, Terminator 2 is a cautionary tale, but it's happening very much in the current time. The Matrix, it really paints a very dismal image of what the future looks like. And um, I think that's copied up since then as well i i 100 agree with that and it's it's funny to think uh correct me if i'm wrong if y'all remember but but i believe morpheus says that it's actually like only 2039 or something like that so we're not actually too far from where it takes place it's 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 a little further away you think it's 1999 it's closer to 2199 but we don't know for sure uh so but i mean still 200 years in the terms of uh like how fast things progress uh isn't that far away i guess you could say yeah, but uh, that's that's something that the the dystopian future that is the reality in the Matrix that we fought a war against the AI machines they won and we are trapped underground. That's the reality. That's the truth. Is just one of a buffet of cool things to wrap your mind around with this movie. It's like they took a whole career of science fiction writing and they did it like in one movie. It's just amazing. And, um, you know, the Wachowskis never quite reached this, whether it be Cloud Atlas or the sequels and stuff. And uh, this is just, it's okay. It's just this one. And it's okay because this one delivered so much, you know. Uh, as you were saying, like the far reaching effects that it's had, um, not just on like society, but also cinema and stuff. I mean, there are recent movies that come out that have elements of this, I believe. I don't know if either of you have seen the the new Doctor Strange, but the mouth, I mean, I immediately, when I saw what was going on with that, it, I, I thought back to Neo and mm -hmm. uh, getting his mouth taken away. I mean, it's uh, it's crazy some of the things that just come, come from that. Yes. What good is a phone call if you are unable to speak? Uh, 
Hugo Weaving, just de- the way he delivers his lines in this movie, just chills, man. Yeah. Chills. There's a lot of uh, themes, though, within this. Like, they keep you coming back, like, awakening. Neo awakens. Uh, like, he wakes up from sleep. Like, what's dream? What's reality? I like that trippiness that's going on with this, you know. Um, is this real? Did that bug really go into my abdomen? Uh, you know, and at the start of the film, you know, he's just like this ill-fitting, frustrated nerd who doesn't fit in. He doesn't fit in, in the goth clubs. He doesn't fit in at work. He doesn't fit into this world. That, and he kind of always knew that there was something else there. That speaks, that theme of like the outsider, somebody who's looking from the outside in, that'll catch a lot of people as well. I mean, this took subcultures of like goth and, you know, these, you know, the hacker cores. Like, again, this is a, this is a cyberpunk kind of genre that done mm-hmm. to a high level. I mean, this is elevating subcultures and shockingly, the masses are absorbing it and saying, yeah, this is cool. I mean, it had an impact on style and you know, trench coats were started to be there. I mean, Hot Topic, Hot Topic certainly took example of mm-hmm. what this movie did. But I mean, well, they, they made some money off this movie. For sure. But I mean, <laughs> um, it, it, became, it became beloved by the subcultures that it was depicting as well. And you never you have that. I think you do have staying power when you start to resonate with those people. I think there was something about that that stands out right away to me, which is it it may you may not have thought that the guy who sells hacker programs to dudes who are high on mescaline going to the BDSM club who sells it for two thousand dollars, he also works a regular white collar job. You might not identify with him. But one of the things that I think maybe everybody can identify is that his boss, Mr. Reinhardt, and his cubicle world, the same world of uh, office space, the same, the same world that, that we can all kind of agree that whether you're in that subculture or not, the, the, the overriding, like the, the white bread authority world of, well, you work for a very well-regarded software company. It's very easy to say, that sucks. I don't like that. I don't want to grow up and be that. Yeah, that's uh, true. <laughs> so because of that, it was so easy to say, well, these are bad. Now, the movie also does something fun, which is, all right, so we've got authority in police, military, and then these agents. The agents are dressed like squares, right, in, in, these, in these suits. Even with all that I just said, there's something just very cool about their mannerisms. Uh, Chase, you brought up Hugo Weaving's style of speaking. There's something about them that makes their presence in the movie very cool. Or maybe it's just that we know that they're threatening. Maybe that's what that first rooftop chase does for us when Agent Brown is chasing Trinity. Is Hold on, that guy who looks like a square is also very cool. I'm eight minutes in. What exactly is going on? <laughs> I mean, she. I, they're so like one of the things that also drives in just how how dangerous they are is you know Trinity jumps through that uh, that window and she's laying there with the guns pointed at it. She has to talk. She has to talk herself into getting up and running, like turning her back to that window, like get up, Trinity, just, just get, get up, get like, up. Hey, it's just like, geez, you got to talk yourself into running away from these people. Like that's how scary they are. This movie does so many things that I just got done like after. We've had a pretty solid seven-minute run of the things that this movie did, but this movie also layers in like 
religious symbolism in there as well. So like, you know, being kind of this messiah-like figure. Um, you know, at one point they even allude to this, like when he hands him a disc as a hacker, the real he's like, you're my own personal Jesus Christ, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, um, he's kind of like this Christ-like figure that's like, they declare him as dead and then he resurrects. And it, I mean, there's a lot of parallels to that. And they certainly dive more into that going forward into the rest of the series as well. But I mean, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that they can keep you confused as long as they do and still pull it back together. I think only Inception had me scratching my head longer and, and, and made it work. Because normally if you're scratching your head half an hour into a movie, something didn't work. Like you're like, oh, this is badly written. <laughs> so um, no, it's the Wachowskis or it's Christopher Nolan. But um, uh, mm-hmm. But the other thing is like, they did so many things. They drew from so many different places. Kung Fu movies, which I'm sure Dustin's going to get into. And they, they <laughs> drew from Japanese anime. And they drew from, uh, again, religious uh, you know symbolism. And they drew from, uh, there, there's philosophy in terms of like actually questioning what the role of technology is doing to our society and stuff like that. And they're bringing it all together. And it just, there's... For a movie that just goes around killing people and like, uh, you know, uh, and fighting, you just don't expect all those smarts in it and it has all of it. It's just amazing. My first movie that you brought me on to do, Russell, was a sci-fi movie. And at the end of that movie, the Adjustment Bureau, I had said something along the lines of, you know, you don't have to answer everything. In fact, the more you try to answer everything, the more, like, the worse it gets. Leave a little ambiguity. Don't show me the whole plan. That being said, the Wachowskis, this world that they made, it feels so well fleshed out. Like, Tolkien-level fleshed out. Yeah. They, they, there's a reason for everything. Um, every, every, every person that's shot Every every everybody that's killed in this movie, if it's a bad guy, well, what you can you can always go back to is well, actually, that's that that person isn't real. It's just a sleeping fetus in a goo pod being farmed by the machines. It's not you didn't really kill that person. How many times do they ask in this movie? Well, what is real? How would you define real? Basis of this movie about figuring out what is real and the pursuit of this truth. The, the the truth is available to Neo to find out, but all these questions that he finds out, the audience has too. He, the audience is like, well, what, what exactly is real? And there's a lot of exposition. There's a, a lot. lot of straight up explaining to you, this is how this world works. You don't have to know that Thor is the god of thunder, son of Odin, and his brother's Loki. You don't have to know the comic book world before you go and see this movie. You're, they do enough. You might say, and this is kind of me jumping back into the, what if I was watching this for the first time? You might say, is it too much exposition? But it's presented in such a far out way that it, every little breadcrumb that you get is a feast. Uh, and you top it off, it's in a, this visu- visually magical world as well. Uh, so even little things like, man, they spent a long time on exposition. is like, yeah, but it was cool to hear, right? Yeah, 100% agree with that. Like, it's you're learning along with Neo, just you know, the same the same time he is, and yeah. it's it was one of those things. I actually had to pause the movie when he's doing his uh, his kung fu training with Morpheus. 
and it's it's over. And you know, he explains, you know, what what makes you think that my muscles have anything to do in this place? And Morpheus just, or Neo is just sitting there, you know, breathing heavy because he just got his butt kicked. And uh, he's like, "Is that even air you're breathing?" And it was just like. Morpheus, so like, chill out, man. I'm still trying to figure this stuff out. You're throwing more at me here. Like, uh, I didn't need to think about whether I was actually breathing air. And you can see that look on Neo's face, like he's it, like that. It hits him as well. And I was just like, man, like, uh, like seeing it for the first time, you would just be like, is it like, is it is this air I'm breathing? What what, what is happening here? And it's just it's. I appreciated the um, almost like an extended training montage. You, you almost, you almost, almost go, call it, but uh, just to explain with Neo, learn with Neo, uh, you know how the how the the pro different programming. They're loading up programs, and they're not even loading up information into him yet. They're just you know they're teaching him uh, you know kung fu and uh, and all the different martial arts. But he's just going program, program, program into the jump program, and it's almost like they're loading that into you as well. You're learning with him. That's what a perfect way of putting that. And it's a, it's also kind of a, like a little wink or sort of, a, you know, to the audience, like Tank tells you, we're going to skip all like the, the, the regular protocols of like understanding how to move your body. That's all boring. Uh, let's get you to something that the audience wants to see. How about that? And he's like, sure. Yeah. Um, lead, leading us to, um, I'm not going to bombard the episode with these, but I will say that when they're going uh, through the different martial arts programs he can learn, one of them is drunken boxing. And Chase, you know, I'm a huge fan of that of, of Jackie Chan's Drunken Master. We covered it. Drunken Master 2. This year. Uh, on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my dealer's choices. Uh, but specifically, the, the Drunken Master, the original from, I believe, 79, uh, the old master, his name is Yuan Wu Ping who is the one who teaches the drunken style to a young Wang Fei Hung. Yuan Weiping is the martial arts director for this movie. So like all, like it, there there's there's just this retro movie connection between all this stuff we do. Uh sometime in the next uh, 12 months you can bet we're going to go back to that first drunken master. Oh for sure. And um and so another thing that strikes me as interesting is how successful this movie is. Um I don't think science fiction movies were necessarily breaking the box office at this point as much. And nobody is like, this doesn't have Tom Cruise in it. This doesn't have, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it doesn't have, you know, the big name people. Uh, Keanu Reeves has his own following now, but it, it's largely, again, things change after the Matrix for how he's perceived. And he has a much larger fan following because Matrix is pretty much the top of the mountain for him. And I mean, Although I, I do like Point Break a lot, but it's nowhere near the Matrix for me. But um, I love Bill and Ted. Uh, it's actually probably some of his best suited acting, I, I think. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, but what I'm saying is the cast is good despite not having any of these big, heavy personality anchors. It it kind of had you guessing what was going on coming into it. You know what I mean? Like there was... It's like going into a concert and you haven't heard the band before and it had to take you. I mean, I didn't know who Carrie Ann Moss was. I didn't know who Lawrence Fishburne was at the time. I mean, we've gone back and seen that he, you know, pops up and even things like Apocalypse Now early on. But like, I mean, right. Like, but how close in time was this to Boys in the Hood? I mean, like, like, and that's something that we're like, unless you were introduced to that I was, as a kid. I, was gonna say, I didn't get to it just based on my age. So right. this is my introduction to a lot of these people. And so, like I said, I was familiar with Carrie Ann Reeves. 
but this is what would make me remember and then go back and assimilate like oh yeah like this is this is a game changer for many much of the cast involved and, and there were they, they did try and get big name actors too they, they tried to get sandra bullock uh to do trinity and they tried to get a lot of other actresses to go in there like there was an enormously long list of people they considered to do it and will smith was slated to play neo yeah. and he turned down the offer and he turned it down to do wild wild west and yeah. if you're thinking that's a bad move he knows that he says the worst decision he's made in his entire life could i couldn't be happier that he made that choice <laughs> uh like i mean i the way things worked out with uh with the matrix for me i feel like will smith's it would have had more comedy in it because that's where Will Smith's a lot, a lot of his, his stuff goes. I mean, Wild Wild West went that way. It's got comedy, in it. and this this movie didn't need that. And uh, and I, I just you know, for me, things happen for a reason. You know, Neo was the one. Keanu Reeves was the one to play Neo. <laughs> yeah. He did. He did get into it. He did commit to it hard. Like they had everybody read mandatory like philosophy books to get their head right for this. Like again. Simulcata and Simulation by Baudrillard was something they wanted to read out of control in evolutionary psychology. Like uh, the Wachowskis were definitely challenging their cast uh, to to be right for this. And, you know, normally when you read, uh, as we've come to read about these things, the amount of training, you just sit there and go, oh, yeah, that's cool. They, they committed like six straight weeks to learning how to be believable as knights or whatever. This movie had seven months of kung fu and martial arts training for the actors and they really used the real actors not stunt doubles and that led to that paid off in spades for its authenticity and what the way they could shoot this but um that amount of care and that amount of preparation and background into this it's it's really quite impressive as you take a peek behind the curtain and and the payoff here if you were to ask any of them and it's been you know, 23 years. There's 10,000 videos on the Matrix on YouTube. There are documentaries about the philosophy of the Matrix. Marcus Chong, who plays Tank, has a documentary about his contract with Warner Brothers after the first movie and his resulting, like, lawsuits and uh, the way he believes he was treated that came out 19 years later. There's so much out there. That if you were to if you were to dig into any of these or to look it up, I'm sure that not a single cast member, aside from Marcus Chong, would say that any of that training wasn't worth it because the end result was as special as it was. Uh, if you were to think about some of the other directors we've we've done on this show or just that we know about, I believe we did. Let, let's let's think about Dog Day Afternoon with like Al Pacino's two takes of those long phone calls. And you think like, oh, you know, he had to do that twice in a row. We do the classic examples like Kubrick's going to make you do it an 81st and an 82nd and an 83rd and an 84th time. Like, is it worth it? Is that what, what are you getting out of it? All of that training, whether it's reading or physical for this movie, turned into something that changed the landscape of of cinema for people our age. You know, we were we were in our our low teens at that point, but really just the landscape of cinema for it's hard to say forever, but certainly for the next 23 years, it, it, the, the end result justified all of that hard work. And I got to say, Chase alluded to this with Hugo Weaving, but for a giant conspiracy to be what your antagonist is, computers and, and stuff, he gives such a great villain 
performance to it. I mean, it he gives a face to the evil and he nails it. Chase yeah, was it's, right. Uh, it's it's my favorite part. Uh, just watching him work in this. I mean, he's obviously been in so many other things since then, but. Uh, Agent Smith, the the look he had, like you said, doesn't address like squares, but it just feels like Hugo Weaving carries it a little bit better than the other two agents, and he just has more moxies, not the word, but just more uh, intimidation, bravado. So, yeah, bravado. Yeah, uh, I mean, all of them work. Uh, that that he just he just carries with him, and so you know, he walks in that first one. Uh, first thing you know, he says is you know they shouldn't have gone in, and he's like, your your people are already dead like talking about trinity he knows and, yeah because he knows like yeah he knows and but then they go in afterwards and that's again just shows they, they don't have any fear absolutely not uh ba- back to the gush fest and i'll keep this short uh, it, it's as if uh, you know you watch a movie and you say because you watched it once with the actors who they cast it's hard for you to see any other actor in there hugo weaving elevated this this agent role and there's two other agents, you know, Smith, uh, Smith, Jones, and Brown. They're designed to a, be a secondary. A, a lovely little little thing they did, which was choose the three most English, the three most common English surnames. Speaking of uh, in the later movies, the upgraded agents are Jackson, Johnson, and Thompson. So, like, like th- th- these are all little things that Lily and what's the other Wachowski's name? Lana, Can you help me here. Lily and Lana, uh, you know, who, who, who they, they thought about. Well, we need to, it's, it's almost like a, like a continuity person that's just like is making sure the world is right. Uh, but like elevated his role as the lead agent as not only just a tool of the machines, but then as the villain, we get him changing a bit. He unplugs towards the end. Uh, he looks tired. He professes to Morpheus hates being in the matrix uh th- th- there's there's a singular want and personality to this program that's more than just the the suit and you know back to the commitment that they worked that they put in keanu reeves had like a two-level fusion cervical uh like to try and fuse his spine and like he was like in a neck brace and he was undergoing martial arts training after a major neck surgery and recovering in the pre-production of this and so um he trained hard even seven days a week like they were supposed to get like a sunday off and he came in and did this so um i i am and i have been hard on keanu reeves as an actor i do think he's a bad actor he's a very likable person off screen right i think that he is in good <laughs> movies and he's been very fortunate to land in some good movies i don't think he's a good actor i mean you can you can see him out of his depth and things like dracula and i mean there's, there's just some times where it's just really rough obviously He's well suited for something like speed, um, but it's interesting. This he gets by here on a, such a substantive movie. Um, he's perhaps too blank of a blank slate at times for me. But um, <laughs> um, where I gain respect for him is in the amount of work that he did to make these fight scenes look good, because he put the work in. If you watch the Blu-ray extras and stuff like that, it is very impressive to see him tailoring, and learning enough martial arts to not only look competent but to try and find a little bit of sense of your own style and they each had individual trainers working with them to try and give them like you know trinity had a different trainer or carrie Ann moss had a different trainer Lawrence fishburne had a different trainer and they were trying to find styles and personality to come through in that fighting agent smith they wanted him to have these big moves and stuff like that and so they worked under the same 
uh, Wu Ping, as you were mentioning uh, earlier, but uh, he delegated more specific training within that too. You know, like the the, the other cast. I mean, we, we we know that we've got some Hugo Weaving love, but I, I also didn't know much of Lawrence Fishburne. I didn't know anything about Carrie Ann Moss. Uh, to to me, these these roles set a bar. And would it be in terms of performances that get like Oscar nods or things that are like this person became uh, this this role? To me, I think that this film was cool enough to where uh, I, I would I actually did see a couple of like strange movies that Carrie Ann Moss was in, or you know I, I wasn't going out there to watch Biker Boys, but th- there were some things I was like, oh okay, if Lawrence Fishburne's in this, then it's got to be something. Yeah, there was there was just um, an aura about this movie that lingered with anybody that was involved with it. I'll tell you what I was seeking out from from his performance, and this was steak. It was a good movie for steak. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's interesting. Joe Pantoliano actually worked with the Wachowskis before on Bound, which uh, it's interesting. They wanted to make this movie initially, and their producers uh, of this, uh, Joe Silver, didn't trust them. To do that necessarily, they couldn't just have all this money. Believe it or not, people don't want to just hand you money because you have an idea, even if it seems like a clever idea. And uh, But Joel Silver was impressed by this, and so he told them to cut their teeth by directing something else instead. So they made Bound in 96, which is a crime thriller uh, lesbian movie. And um, it was critically acclaimed and not necessarily a big break-the-box-office kind of movie. And that gave them the window to come in and do this and they did sell this they said see ghost in the shell see these john woo movies and these japanese animation things akira and like which we covered i mean like they said we're gonna we want to do this stuff for real and that's how they like pitch this stuff and it's amazing how many of the actors just didn't get it russell crowe was offered the role of morbius and he didn't get it just you know will smith said that they didn't come he didn't get it either like that's why he didn't take it Unfortunately, he understood mechanical spiders and, and Wild yeah. Wild West. <laughs> um, I think it's cool all that info you just gave because I think if you try to explain this movie without it visually existing, you will fall short of what it is uh, in two hours 15, which is longer than I remembered it being. They, they provide you a, a full course meal. That you know, if, if you're missing any too many components, including the visuals or including the lore, the the small details of the things they remember to let you know. Um, and this is me doing my best job of eliminating the Matrix video games, the Animatrix uh, two, three, and you know, as of last year, four. Uh, removing that from what you know, with just the movie wrapped as is, you, you get it all. And so, like pitching it to someone and and. It, it, maybe it's not fair for me to say that I understand why people said no, because it. But but it is difficult to describe. It is, it, you know, looks into how long your plot summary is. If if in a world where producers have to pick it up and get an elevator pitch, it doesn't fit in an elevator ride unless it's the elevator ride on the Burj Khalifa. It, it took me twenty minutes to. I wrote that out and cut two paragraphs, Russell. I kept like being like, can I do this in less than a page? It was very tough. 
Yeah, and it's fun to hear them talk about their influences. You can see the anime influences and the fights and how they're doing that. But I mean, the wire fu, if you will, the kung fu, like graceful, like wire motions and stuff like that. It had been done before, but it took it and made it mainstream because they combined it with so many other elements. Cyberpunk genre, been done before, you know, but it it's the right amount of stuff pushing and pulling against each other in this way. And it's just really impressive to me that they brought it out there that way. I mean, it's so cool to hear them talk about even like 2001 A Space Odyssey uh, and how that movie influenced them. And it's just it's so cool. I mean, uh, this movie's maybe not as artistic as that is, but I mean, it's 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 well shot. I, I, I think Chase mentioned it. I'm mad that this didn't get like a cinematography nod. It's so effects driven that they don't want to reward it for that. But even with the effects. It is well shot. Him bringing up uh, 2001 The Space Odyssey, it's seeing the parallel in it with uh, Good Morning, Dave, and <laughs> Neo. Like, from right. the computer, it's, it, like, as soon as he said that, it immediately popped up in my brain. <laughs> yeah. You hear a sound as an audience member of the letters hitting the screen, but I think there shouldn't be any sound coming from yeah you're hearing the keyboard yeah of the you're hearing the key exactly you're hearing the keyboard and that wakes him up um well i mean we don't have to worry about whether that's accurate or not i would say about his room inside the room uh, i loved his sort of i think he had maybe two monitors but even still like he had a big desk area there was still a lot of like paper and pencil it wasn't like we have kids with uh gaming rig pcs that are today that would blow his, yeah, his situation out of yeah, the water phones would destroy it. yeah what he has there it's it's great and I, I, I actually saw something that was uh talking about you know you look at neo's room back at it and you're like the first time you saw it you're like oh like how could anyone live that way you know right. hold up in a room with just the computer monitors and a bed and i guess it really always got and you know now today it's just you know, there are there are people that live that way on purpose. Like they live on their computers. That's how they do it. And uh, right, you know, I'm sure that the Matrix has something to do with it. You know the uh, the one thing I expected about his room, I expected there to be more uh, like to go containers. Yeah, or he's gotta, to- guys got to eat. Yeah, yeah. Like he's certainly not cooking for himself, right? Unless he's like surviving on cup of noodles, ramen. If he's just really clean. Yeah, <laughs> but we don't see that. I mean, his bed's not made. It's not all that. But right, I think we, we we're shown that he's late for work, and if you're late for work, that means you must be a slob in some other way. So one of the interesting things is Lana and Lily Wachowski siblings, who again transitioned in the two thousands. Um, there were transition transgender sentiments in the writing. This is something that they would have been in, you know struggling with throughout. Their, their lives, uh, not something that they came to initially. And one of the characters, Switch, um, who's dressed in all white, um, uh, she's portrayed in slightly androgynously, uh, but this character was actually supposed to be a male in the real world and then a female in the Matrix. So, right. because in the Matrix is supposed to be whatever you, yeah, your residual self image. This Correct. is who you. This is who you think you are. And yeah, uh, Warner Brothers said, no, no, people, people uh, don't want that. 
Oh man. Yeah, that that's that's tough that the answer was no. I didn't pick up that little fact until far later. Um cuz I I had I'll, I'll tell you this, Russell. I was such a fan of this movie that like before smartphones, I used to, you know, back when we were using Napster, remember that? Uh, I mm-hmm. used to go on to an internet forum called The Last Free City where I w- we would we would theorize as to what the truth could be about the second and third movie or you know how important was the little kid with the spoons and so like th- there's a lot of like matrix lore that i know and things that are just like artifacts of the past that will never come back again but i wish that would have happened what a cool moment that could have been and just a in a world where that makes so much sense to say this person as a crew member of the Nebuchadnezzar when they jack in is now female presenting and i always remember that she wore more white tones compared to the black and the leather and the trench coats of the others but i that would how impactful that would have been if only yeah and worth noting this is the year that hillary swank uh does her performance in boys don't cry so uh mm. the world uh the world is being served a, a cold dose of uh hey this is this is a thing you know well, there's also uh, it's one of the things that I actually I wrote down here. Um, I mean, it's it's on a kind of different subject, but uh, when Trinity in- introduces herself to Nia, he looks at her and says, I-, "I thought you were a guy," and her response is, "Most guys do." And it was yeah. that's one of the things that stuck with me. I was just like, because it, again, it also portrays her as just you know, this badass. Like we watched her shoot up and get out. You know, there are girls out there that can do it just as guys, good as guys. It was progressive in terms of how you know she's not portrayed as like a. Yes, she's dressed in black leather, but I mean, it's not like she's portrayed as like a sexual dynamo. Like I mean, she's she is uh, she's tough. She's smart. She's resourceful. She's the last surviving member along there with Neo uh, to go back and rescue Morpheus. She doesn't take. She doesn't bow down to him. She tells him that she's coming with him. Trinity is she's the highest excellent. ranking member on the crew. Correct. At that point. Yeah. Trinity is a very good female written character. And you're getting more of that now. But even now, it's like something that people are consciously trying to do. So, again, um, the Wachowskis um, probably coming at this from, from, a, from a slightly different perspective. Being that this happens in the future, there's a lot of, mm, I would say, like, varying shades of tan people and this and so it's not just um you know i know i know neo and trinity are very white people but um the future world is uh more diverse as well you know uh, chase and i before we were talking about how this movie doesn't include a visual representation of zion it is talked about but we don't actually see it in this movie but there's something very clear and it must have been a decision and, and must have been a focal point, which is to say, this is how people will look after centuries in the future. Uh, there's a reason why Tank and Dozer look the way that they do. Uh, Tank in particular uh, looks, looks like an amalgamation of, of different cultures. And there's a reason why Zion is populated the way it is. These were important decisions made by the Wachowskis. And it would be odd to find anything along the several lines of like items that are addressed by this extremely layered onion of a movie that wasn't deliberately thought about 
And so they deliberately thought about, oh, the people that exist still in the real world that are fighting the real world war, those aren't pale white people. I think yeah. the only one that is is Mouse, I believe. Right? I mean, well, Mouse can jack Ke- in. Keanu is pretty... He can jack in? Uh, that's right, Ma- he can jack Ma- in. Because I remember Neo makes a point of saying he, he notices that a tank doesn't have any. And he asks him about it. He's like, nope. Bred, you know, born in Zion. True child of Zion. Yeah. And so, yeah, I definitely noticed that too. I mean, there's so many, you know, progr- they were at the forefront of a lot of things that, you know, we're seeing big themes of now. It, it's a fact. <laughs> well, and it's also, it's also just part of the, the combination of filter, but also just sort of the, that sickly green fluorescent that is pervasive in the office buildings and the places that are normal in this in this world and what is presented in uh mega city the the matrix city that they're in it's you get people looking how they really are how they want to look when they're in the when they're in the club like or when they're in the the dirtier dingier place actually the whole real world has an intentional green tint they desaturate the reds and that and and then in the real world sorry in the real world like where like it's crappy it has a very blue, whitish tint where they desaturate the yellows as well. Yeah, in there, and so there's a there's a um, reinforcement through color and also through the textures too. If you look at their clothes, I mean, they're they're really rough. Like they have no color in their clothes in the real world. Like they're really big. Like they look like darning needles. Like had like you know, like right. made like yeah. these really heavy and it's tactile. It's real. They wanted you to feel like there's this real whereas everything in the matrix is very smooth. The hairstyles are different, you know. I mean, there's 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 a ruggedness to the real world. So that presentation is re visually reinforced time and time again through every facet of what they're doing and what is real versus what is a dream. Uh just it, it blurs. Now it, these are subtle. Green tents and blue tents are subtle, but still, um, these are the things that the more you analyze it, it's the thing they're like, oh, this movie's amazingly crafted. There's a reason why you, there's, you could compile it in a textbook. You could, you could run a class, a 200-level class for sophomores on, the, on there's 16 weeks in a semester. Each one could be a theme of this movie. Jason, I don't know that we've talked about it enough. I mean, this movie is a, a really a great fighting movie. I mean, this movie is capturing action in such a great way as well. What is it that gets you excited about this? Oh, man. I mean, there are multiple moments that uh, just, you know, when it comes to the action of it, it starts out with a bang. It starts out with Trinity just, you know, mowing through these, these <laughs> mowing um, <laughs> Answering and, a phone uh, call with a truck coming at you is pretty intense, too, by the way. Like, you're like, what yeah. is, like... What is oh yeah, such a, yeah. Like, you gotta what phone call have so that important? Timed out. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, yeah, this is the first time we're seeing. We don't know that that's how she's getting out. Yeah, like, like we're just like, oh, what, what is it, you know, the truck backs out and nobody's there, and uh, yeah, that it's just, it starts out with a bang, starts out intense. Probably the favorite fight scene for me would have to be the sparring between Neo and Morpheus in the dojo, like the training uh, program, sparring program. It's the way that Morpheus, the way Lawrence Fishburne goes about it. It's very, you know, master and apprentice. The stop trying to hit me and hit me. 
those things, uh, those lines just add so much to it. It's like, it's, it's not, it's not, your technique is good. That's not why you're it's like all that stuff where it's almost condescending, but supportive at the same time. Um, which is why I really like it. You see Neo go into all the different styles Like he's trying every single one of those styles that he's had uploaded in the program. He starts in one He's shit because he shifts and you know, he rubs his nose and he's he's you know yeah, a little more relaxed. That's a little bit of Bruce Lee there for yeah, you, by the way. Yeah, he's he's doing that and then that doesn't work and so he's trying something else and and uh, that's why I I just really like it because it's you see him figuring it out in real time as well as just going from style to style to style to style trying to find something that works and it's that it just really really opened my eyes to how great the choreography was for that fight scene as well. Well, imagine being, imagine being Morpheus who has self-proclaimed spent his entire life looking for this potential savior, uh, by, by prophecy. This is his goal in life. All right. You found him and you unplugged him from his, uh, little jelly pod. And now he's ready to train and learn. And now you're going to like start egging him on and goading him, like ha- like that's within like a couple hours, right? <laughs> like it's, it hasn't even been a few days. Like okay, you're here. Got his muscles actually working, and now he's getting his butt kicked by the person that's supposed to be training. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, to, to to have that kind of like this is the kind of jolting type of conversation you need for me to speak at you in this way for you to. Hey, he says, I know what you're trying to do. I'm trying to free your mind. All of those things he says are just trying to, to get him to understand through fighting and through interacting with these agents that their, their movements and their actions are all based on a world of rules. You're a computer hacker, so you know some rules can be bent and others can be broken. Within the context of this, you know, what are we looking at? A 135-minute movie. Unbelievable how succinctly that can be put into how they get their, we'll call them air quotes, powers, is bending and breaking the rules of computer code. That's the underlying story of that awesome kung fu scene, is how do you push the limits of what's possible? And that's the first time that you see Neo moving at that sort of superhuman speed. Chad Stilinski, who was the stunt double on The Matrix prior to the directing of uh, the John Wick series, uh, so he worked here on The Matrix, um, he commented that The Matrix changed the film industry. There's an influx of martial artists, choreographers, and fight coordinators who now make more and more prevalent, powerful industry-changing decisions for what, how the movies are going down, and The Matrix put the power into those people's hands. So today, action movies want their big fight sequences. Uh, you know, when you read a movie script, they usually just say the actors fight. But the Wachowskis, again, they <laughs> right. wrote I, the Wachowskis wrote it like a book where they were talking about like the, the knuckles hit his jaw in such a way, and like it makes a grinding sound and stuff like that. Like I mean, they cared about that level and this and they got a fight coordinator who could bring that vision through so to again chase said it they got the right people for the right job and that changed the way that collaboration went action movies are made differently because 
of the Matrix. It's beyond the bullet time. It is. I would totally agree with you that it, it is beyond the bullet time. And maybe that is unfairly the, the visual technique that is brought out. Um, I, you know I'm much more of a kung fu guy. Um, I, I actually I love the dojo scene too. Would you would you say that's your favorite fighting scene in this in this movie, Russell? Me? Uh, yeah, I, I want to save some things for my spurs. Okay, he's yeah. gonna save a little thing. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, I will say that uh, the, the, several of them are different, and uh, I could. I, I mentioned this to Chase. Let's just say when we do get to our superlatives here. When we do, I my superlatives are for today. I could come back tomorrow and have a full list of completely different answers, and it would be a strong 1A to a 1B. Like, I could fill out four sheets of superlatives for this movie. So um, today, whatever he says, tomorrow it could be tasty weed. It could be different. So, uh, and who knows what tasty weed is supposed to taste like. Uh, that's why they didn't get... The, the, even that was thought about. How do the machines know what, what something tastes like? Uh, speaking of like the, the fighting styles, the agents can soak up some hits. They are not trained in the dozens, if not hundreds, of martial arts that the uh, that the free humans who then can jack back in, they are not trained in the same way. What you notice about the blocking and the, the fight choreography with Hugo Weaving in particular is he uses his torso and his chest to to essentially absorb a lot of hits because based on, and we're going to have to say like the machine thinking probability, these next two punches to my chest aren't going to hurt. So I'm going to sacrifice them and my movement to power up a next like punch or something. Uh, if you, I've watched these dozens, if not a hundred times, Hugo Weaving's particular choreography is often absorb six hits in a row and then, uh, you know, get hit Big in the hit. face and then come right back. It's, uh, it's, it's so great. And things are now done differently because of how well they did it in this movie. Yeah. And what a compliment. And, I mean, he, it's part of it, you know, he absorbs those six hits and then he delivers one with more power Big. than those six combined. Yes. Big like, hit. Yep. And he's up, you know, up against the wall, going through a pillar, you know, whatever. It's yeah. It the difference. Uh, I'm glad you pointed that out because the difference that they have between is is very stark too. Even with the the other agents, because the other agents, it's almost like they're they're more reliant on their their guns. Most of them are. There there's a lot of shooting and shooting, and then the up close battle. I always liked that, especially the fight between Neo and Agent Smith. That the guns were the 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 beginning of it. And then they both empty, and then they both toss it away, and they're just like, "All right, let's, let's let's actually settle this. We don't need the guns. Let's go." And like, and especially leading up to it, where you know Neo is like, "What do you need? We need guns. Lots of guns." It comes down to, you know, you don't really need guns when you're the one. Speaking of what you don't really need, funny that they would name the sequel Reloaded because they don't reload weapons in this world, y'all. No, they just toss them away. We need guns, lots of guns, because I'm going to fire everything I can and toss it to the ground. Speaking of stylistically from earlier, Russell, this is something they do a lot. Every actor in this movie, whichever side they're on, generally, what you'll notice from these wide shots sometimes is if they toss something to the ground, the other one will look at what they just did. Uh, everyone's head is moving or their eyes are attracted to like what is happening. Uh, every gun that's tossed is tossed deliberately and um 
you know, I, I believe Trinity throws a knife past Neo's head, and Neo like immediately looks back to see what it was. Um, that's a that's a choice to be like. It's almost as if like audience, are you seeing what we just gave to you? Look at this because we're about to move on to something new. It's yeah. a real reaction too. Real it's a reaction. real reaction. Yeah. 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 And another the the Gatling gun. I mean, I don't know if it's a really a Gatling gun, but you know, the large machine gun that uh, Neo fires into the room of with Morpheus. The minigun. Yeah, the minigun. It. I mean, the rain of of uh, casings, casings and shells that just come down and you're you're getting that that visual stuck with me as well in you know, in the uh, action scene but yeah you didn't reload that didn't need to when you got that big bullet. <laughs> yeah well it's the visual and then the sound the things about the the spent cartridges right our shells falling and that that high-pitched clinging jinging sound uh, how about also, that mirror running down his throat a wonderful sound uh i i i rewound that when i was watching the movie I, you know, I will always use the term rewind, even though it's not what we're doing. <laughs> but I went back and listened to it again. Uh, so many great sounds. But like the, the yeah, the minigun uh, spent ammo. Uh, same thing with the spent ammo in the lobby siege when they're, when they're coming through the lobby. Great sounds of the clack, the clacking sound of like metal, like mass produced metal, like the guns. Yeah, mass produced metal of, that's sounds one like a great name for a band, by the way. <laughs> Oh yeah, they're on the soundtrack. Mass-produced metal sounds. Yeah, Rage Against the Machine, mass-produced metal sounds, uh, the Crystal Method. How did Spoonman not end up on here? I want to know from Soundgarden. <laughs> it's disappointing. Also, Nobody's Real by uh, Power Man Five Thousand should have snuck in there too. Great soundtrack, by the way. I I I also have most of these songs in my music library it's a really good soundtrack the 90s is a time when the soundtrack was a way to get more money from people and so they could get popular artists to put one song that wasn't on their album in many cases or um or maybe to, wasn't even in the movie yeah yeah or wasn't even in the movie the songs in or influenced by and these 90s soundtracks for the late 90s are actually quite good and they're worth picking up it's funny, digital music kind of kills the, the notion of the soundtrack, but in this MTV era of the late 90s here, instead of committing to a whole album, you would go buy that for one song, but you'd be exposed to different bands that you wouldn't get before. So that was a really cool thing about this. I, I was kind of dipping my toe in the Rob Zombie sound at the time, but then, you know, you give me a song. Now I'm I'm getting into that a little bit more. So it was a gateway for lots of things, but it was a gateway to Russell's iPod also right me and me and my buddies listened to, to rob zombie and then uh I, I remember having like a burned cd with the ramstein du host on there my dad I heard a it and, fan. <laughs> and he and my, my my dad hadn't watched the movie yet and he looked at me he's like who introduced this to you because he was kind of my funnel like who introduced movies to me this this is probably the style of music i wasn't huge into and uh it, it's just a it's just a soundtrack of bangers on top of the score, which is also unique, incredible, and instantly recognizable. Yes, and I'm a Reggie as a Machine fan, but I, I have a hard time thinking of few movies that leave me pumped as much as this goes out at. With, <laughs> Come with on! Neo, yeah, Neo hanging up a payphone <laughs> of like, you know, it's like, the rest is up to you. 
like, well, it, it's that that base that uh, that base as the sunglasses go on, you know, yep. to perfect timing on it. Rage Against the Machines, Wake <laughs> yeah. Up is like, which is uh, so apropos to the movie as well, with the name of the name of the band. I know. Yeah. I mean, even as the credits are rolling, two minutes in, I mean, you got Zach Taylor Rook. It's like, wake up! And it's just so. <laughs> <laughs> the the other thing that is interesting in this is this movie, as you mentioned before, like they weren't just given the keys to the kingdom. Bound didn't unlock all the doors when they were given sixty million dollars. This doesn't look like a sixty million dollars movie. They made it in Sydney, Australia, because they would have. They, they, by their calculations, it would have taken $180 million to make this in a U.S.-based movie. So um, mm. this is made in Sydney. It looks American. They wanted it to feel that way. But they actually had a hard time fighting urban decay post-industrial vibe locations in Sydney um, to, to give it this gritty feeling of the underbelly of, of these, um, right. these scenes and stuff like that of, of, of The Matrix. So... Um, there seems to be a very tight knit chemistry amongst the actors, the people who are the trainers and the and the film creators. And um, I don't know if that's just the DVD making it look that way, but I, I feel like there's a, a higher degree of connection. So like this movie is, is successful uh, and it's results bound them together uh, in, in, in a long process, like you said, and uh, grueling in some ways. Um, but there's a reason why aside from contract disputes that they all came back for for two and uh to, to quote another movie uh miracle uh you know he they weren't looking for the best players they're looking for the right ones and i oh, feel like wow. that's what they got here like they may have gotten got, gotten the best actors 1997 98 you know when they're filming they got the right ones and that's what mattered in the end chase knows that because he checked out our miracle episode <laughs> yes obviously <laughs> um but again being resourceful the pvc suits that like you know like trinity and some of the other people are wearing stuff like that um it's not just trying to like show people off in tight black leather or whatever it's not leather it's cheap pvc three dollars a yard wool blends for his jacket like that's not a nice leather jacket like it's being very resourceful it's shot in such a way that doesn't like show it off but you know it's it's it, there's resourcefulness in all of this um it's amazing the special effects. Bullet time looks like it's a computer fiesta. It's not. It's they tried to like rig up a dolly to actually swing it around on a swivel, but like fast enough they kept breaking the dolly. The camera kept breaking, so they actually ended up. It's really cool when you see it. It's cameras, photographic cameras, set in a circle, like and not like a level circle either. Like it, it undulates like up arc. and down. Yeah, an arcing circle, and then. They cut out green paper around everything but the lens to hide the camera itself. And so the whole room's green and Keanu can fall back. And all those cameras could take that image of where he is at the exact same moment. And they can link those. And they're only using a little bit of computerization to put in the background. Because actually, if you if you do pause, the background doesn't look great. <laughs> um, but but your, your, your focus is not on there. It's like a magician. Like, you need to look here, not here. Um, so, uh, they're digitally putting in the backdrop and they're taking out all the cameras out on the other side of the circle digitally, and they are capturing actual Keanu doing it. And it is a bit of a wonder why they didn't do this in their sequels. I don't want to dive into sequels too much, but if you look at Matrix, like revolutions, like there's bullet time moves in there, but it looks like a video game because it's all CGI. 
like they fully CGI'd Keanu fighting these agents and it's a re- it's a really bad moment for that movie in my mind because they pull you out of it so much when in reality just as much as it paid off to use the real actors for the authenticity it's actually Keanu and they're actually photographs linked together to do this um, it's really cool well aside from uh, diving directly into Agent Smith's sternum and blasting him apart in a green uh, code. There's nothing else in this movie that is truly out of, like, human possibility. Uh, like, a very, very far jump. Yeah, okay, I'm not saying that, like, if you work hard enough, you can jump that far. What I'm saying is that everything you see can be either done practically or it's like, that's just human beings like doing human being things on a far greater level um as opposed to you talk about the sequels you know flying being superman you know like that that's clearly different i, I think that there is a level of whether it's the scenery that helps keep things set whether it's the the bland dullness of his workspace there's some uh, it, whether it's just his apartment uh, that it's you know it's small cramped uh, dirty something keeps everything very grounded here and it's very fun to be a part of this world which is it, it, you feel as if you're steps away from it yeah absolutely and you know the wiring stunts too i mean we, i i think other movies do bad wire stunts like if x-men comes to my mind um you know but on the other hand like uh they stylize this in such a way to see like you know, when Trinity like jumps up in the beginning and she's suspended there waiting for the kick to come in, as Chase said, my mind was blown minutes into this movie. I didn't know what was going on, but I was taken by it. <laughs> and that that orbiting, that grace and stuff like that. Yes, it had happened before. I think Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out before this, right? Uh, no, it was 2000. Oh, just kidding. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> but they would have been um, filming at the same time. Um, my point is it had been done before, but uh, not like this. Not like this. Yeah, to, to quote Switch, not like this. <laughs> One of the other cool uh, things that I, that I really liked, it, you know, kind of the same of the special effects, when the, the uh, helicopter hits the, all the glass building, and it's that, that moment where that the glass is not breaking but waving before yeah. it shatters like that moment is i always thought that that was really cool because technically it does do that for that microsecond before it shatters where it's breaching yeah. that breaking point and you get to see that you know you know you're seeing the matrix you're seeing the lily seeing... lily wachowski yeah. said that took two months of homework to figure out how to get the glass to like burst like a donut like that like not the actual the computer undulation part but like when they're swinging towards the camera and and the glass actually bursts towards yeah. you and but it does it in a radial fashion they said uh <laughs> like to actually get glass to do that like to to get it to blow up in a pattern like that it took them a while to figure it out yeah, but it you know it it also that w- what a great little like way to describe it is the machines had to figure it out too, and part of their figuring it out is well like th- they have to take physics into account, but um, like the, the the world of the matrix is all based on how a machine thinks it would do it, 
um, or how it thinks it should work, um, which, hey, just to bring up another layer real quick, is just uh, the original Matrix. This is not the original Matrix. <sighs> another layer, dude. It is, it, originally, this was made to be a paradise, but there's something about you humans, another great Hugo Weaving monologue, you guys would reject it. There's something about it in the way of your species that uh, you want to wake up from that dream, which is why it was a failure. We tried to give you paradise. The, the idea that there's these two real-world factions of the machines and the, um, and, and the humans that they, they interact, every interaction has a lasting result. And so the idea that the glass ripples the way that you said it kind of waves um, is another reminder that this is a fabrication of a world. Yep. That you are a, sla- a, a prison for your mind. And it's not always going to look exactly right. And so there's also you to see, defend it. You know, Joe you see the moments sells too, out to go back to it. You see the moments too where the machines are trying to, like, they're confused by human, like, their choices that they're made. Like when they go to save Morpheus, they're like, they're, right. they're trying to save him. <laughs> Yeah, they've already made the prediction. Well, if they're alive, they should pull his plug any moment. Yeah, and they're just they're con- like so that interaction between what is logical for a machine and yeah. what is emotional for a human. Like you know, we're gonna go back and save him. Like we're gonna die going back to save him. It's not the logical move, but it is the emotional one. And then the yeah. the interaction with uh, the machines, the programs, of the agents, just not understanding why would they do that? Why? On the flip it side, the was, people, yeah. like, Joe Pantoliano chooses to go back into the Matrix, you know? I mean, the real world kind of sucks. It He's is tired bit- fighting. He doesn't want, yeah, yeah, it I does. Mean, yeah, like, I mean, like, I don't really want to live in this world. Like, Tasty Wheat, uh, or, like, it's not actually called Tasty Wheat, like, the porridge, like, the, the it's, it's just rice porridge, basically, is what it actually is, but I mean, like, um... Like Everything the body porridge needs. doesn't does not excite me for my meals and stuff. I don't I don't want to ride on this ship. I I also want to be put back in the matrix and and be made rich and powerful. And <laughs> As that's job, what Mr. Thing, Reagan. <laughs> he wants to go back in, but he wants to be like I think he said he actually wants to be an actor. He wants to be someone important, someone important. like an actor. <laughs> yeah. And then they said right. Mr. Like, Reagan after that, which was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very cool that that uh, Agent Smith will only refer to you by what the name that you exist in the Matrix, like the logs of the world. Yeah. Um, wow. I, there's so much we didn't cover because it's just so such a major. You can't. But I think R- Russell, I think we, we knew to, this. I, th- I think it's time. I think it's you know, we'll, when we cover all the movies, we'll come back and do this one again. But um, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Dustin. Uh, Chase, do you think it's time to give out some superlatives? Oh, yeah. All right. Chase, MVP. Well, I mean, if, you, if you've been listening for, uh, since the beginning, it's, it's got to be Hugo Weaving for me. I mean, the, the way he, every, every scene he's in, the way he delivers his lines, the, the facial expressions or lack thereof that he has when he delivers them, just off the charts. I can't hear the name Anderson without going, Mr. Anderson. And if you hear him talk, like if you hear Hugo talking, it does not sound anything like it. Oh, no. It's amazing. I mean, uh, Elrod. It messed up Elrod for me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. For for me, the, like, there's Mr. Anderson uh, is, you know, obviously iconic, but 
well, I, I, I think I said it before where he's just like, uh, well, he's classifying humans. It's a virus. <laughs> like he, he, that S at the end of virus. Yeah. Like I can never do it justice. You know, I'll try, but, uh, yeah, he absolutely knocked it out of the park for me. Yeah, he head, said, head he said that he based the character on hearing the directors talking about the character. Like, like they have, they, they both had these voices and, and stuff. And so like, he's like, I just kind of emulated them. <laughs> yeah. An actor playing a program who's trying to em- like figure out what disgust is. Uh, it's very, very cool when you think about this meta. Dustin, MVP. Well, I probably have different answers every day. But for today, it's, it's the Wachowskis and the final product. Uh, a goal, um, an obstacle set in front of them. They get to the point where they can make it. Ended up going up to Australia, uh, ended up having the cast they did. And it's not until we record the show that I, I really start talking with y'all and thinking, man, that matters a lot. And, uh, the, the, the collective vision of what they did to put this together is, uh, going to stand the test of time for another 20 years. It's, it's wonderful. So, uh, they get the MVPs. I'm I'm with you. It's got to be Lana and Lily Wachowski. They uh, it, just conceiving this alone would get you pretty far along in my book because it's the thought provoking nature of what draws me most to this. Even beyond the action, the action's like amazing, but just their vision and their ability to pull it all together holistically. I mean, it's just great. It's amazing. Um, uh, best supporting actor, Chase. So if if I was a cop out, I mean anybody but. Keanu Reeves. Uh, That's but, fair. Um, Everyone. I mean, that is technically yeah. the correct answer. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that that's what I would say. I mean, again, my MVP is Hugo Weaving. I mean, he's technically a supporting actor. We could go with him. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the easy route and just say, you know, everybody but the lead is, is really the best supporting actor for me. Everybody did exactly what they needed to do. All right. Dustin, best supporting. Well, my answer is Hugo Weaving, and Chase has done enough to really laud him. Uh, so what I'm going to do is use this space to say that uh, actually, as far as supporting here, uh, I'm going to go with, with Marcus Chong, who plays Tank. And I'm going to go with him because he's severely overacting everything, and he's the one that doesn't come back for two and three because of some type of alleged contract dispute and uh, clearly wants to be in on it, but isn't able to come back uh, leads to another great actor filling the operator's role. But I, I think his, his overacting is something I generally do not tolerate, but uh, it, it's almost as if every single moment that he's in, if this were made today would be giveable. Everything he does is like way over the top. Um, now I love the entire cast, but I think we needed to at least mention him, you know, as as you know, a, a true son of Zion. So let's go with uh, Marcus Chong. For me, this was tough. You got a you got like a four horse race. You've got Joe Pantoliano's really good, and you got you got um, you know Carrie Moss is awesome, and then you've got uh, you know amazing job by Hugo Weaving. But Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus is definitely. Gosh, he's so good. When it was going to be Will Smith, they were going to put uh, Val Kilmer in here. And my first thought is like, Will Smith, good actor. 
Like he's and, and to your point, Chase, he's not far off from making Ali. Like I like the good actor is is ready to be had. I think there, um, but uh, I I don't want Val Kilmer at all to take to take Lawrence Fishburne's spot. Morpheus to me has so many of the lines and what I remember most and. Um, you know this this character or this actor was introduced to me largely through this movie, and um, he will always be Morpheus to me. And Morpheus is just cool; like he, he's cooler than Keanu. He knows he has all the answers. So yeah, um, yeah like I, I like Morpheus. I just uh, and so Lawrence Fishburne's my guy on this one. One of the things about four that uh, kind of you know just bugs you a little bit is that he's not in it. He's not Morpheus in it. In in the last yeah. You know, no Lawrence Fishburne. It's it's tough to to think of the Matrix. I mean, you think of the Matrix, you think of you know Neo, and right there with him is Morpheus for me too. I you agree know, with you. It, 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 it's it's it, he is part of the iconography of the hidden gem. It does not have to be an actor, by the way. It could be anybody in the anybody in the process. Yeah, mine actually isn't an actor. Uh, mine is actually a quote that I, I had uh, mentioned previously. It's the interaction between Neo and Trinity for the first time, where he says, "You know, I thought you were a guy," and she responds, "With most guys do." Uh, that that response for me, you know, you see, like I said, Tr- Trinity just you know busting through all these all these uh, police officers, all the action. But then this shows that she's also got the wit. She's got the personality. Yeah. She's got. The things like that's a cool chick, you know, like that. That's just that was you know what you hear and you see in her for me, um, and that's that just kind of give and take that they had there. Yeah, it was just one of those small moments that that really stick out to me. It's a cool hidden gem choice, Dustin. Hidden gem. Uh, it, only because the screen time is small, uh, but a very impactful character to the series. Uh, I think Gloria Foster's portrayal of the Oracle is absolutely wonderful um, she's great sw- not uh, what you're expecting right not what you're expecting and just just the like you know it, it's as smooth her, her performance is as like smooth and like the aroma of cookies like you float through that little scene and that th- there's a lot of things that like bookend that scene but I, I just her portrayal and she she uh you know passes away before she gets a chance to reprise that uh, but i i thought she was wonderful and i, I always will so uh, she's my little hidden gem. Well, you kind of, you, you kind of took mine, so I'm going to have to sub one in here. I'm going to go <laughs> with uh, Fiona Johnson is the uh, is the lady in the red dress, and uh, yeah, I was paying attention to her too. You got me. <laughs> you know, that that would have gotten me shot too. And it's funny um, when Fiona emerged in costume for the first time, pulling out on the lot. Somebody was pulling a car out of a garage on. Uh, you know, in the production, and they were so transfixed by her, they drove into the garage door before it had uh, finished raising um, and uh, ruining the paint job and uh, and damaging the windshield on the car. And they were embarrassed, so then they drove off uh, set quickly. So, um, Russell, you, you and I lived at, at University of Tennessee. We lived in Andy Holt Tower, and across the street from Andy Holt Tower is Shelburne Apartments, at least it was. And uh, I watched that exact thing happen. A guy in a BMW was like kind of catcalling this this girl and ends up crashing into another car. <laughs> it happens. It's a real thing. So, I mean, that's my hidden gem. There you go. I'm a simple man. <laughs> uh, but to deny what is human, recast, if you had to recast somebody and put somebody in their place, Chase. Tough. Yeah. Tough. 
Um, mine's I I I'm expecting some pushback on this. I'm expecting it. Okay. Oh, uh, mine is Cipher. Uh, Joe Pantone. Oh, like Joey I, Pants. I know. I know. I know. And it's it's probably just because I, I was you know at a lack of, of picking someone, but right. Um, and it was also it was hard to like one of the reasons that you know. It was, it's hard to pick him is because, you know, who would take his place. And for me, thinking of the time period and the way a lot of people, like, we have Hugo Weaving and the way he talks and that slow, methodical. I was like, who else gives me that but also could have the, the slick hair, the black, you know, like, a lot in black and everything. And I slick went with, hair, like, he's Al, Alan, Alan Rickman. Yeah, I know he does it. I'm saying who could give us that that everybody else has. Everybody else has got the hair, and he's different. Okay. Um, and we... I, it kind of goes into my number. What will we change? But um, a young Alan Rickman would probably be what I, I can be cool. In. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I won't argue with Alan Rickman being in any movie. So yeah, um, uh, you're forgiven, even though I'm hurt. But um, Dustin, Dustin, if you had to pick somebody and recast them, who would it be? I got a kind of strange one here, and it's based on that fact that you shared about uh, about Switch wanting to be presented as male in real world and female in in the Matrix. So I thought uh, it would be cool to have Eddie Izzard play as uh, Switch, who is very fluid uh, in you know modern times. Um, he he did have some like film experience aside from just his stand up and stuff. Uh, he was a small character in uh, Ocean's Twelve. I He's a mystery man. <laughs> I don't bring up that movie. Uh, <laughs> but like I, I think that could be fun and I think he could be either Switch or if he needed to be like a little more wisecracking he could be Cypher as well and that's not to take away from Belinda McClory who was Switch it was just that um, you know it, it, it seemed as if if we needed to inject a little more comedy perhaps that, that could work but uh, I, I really I never back out of this question but this would be the closest movie I would ever have to recasting anyone well, uh, I've dipped my hand. Uh, Keanu Reeves would be the guy I would come after. Uh, it's a big change, but I mean, uh, it, I had a hard time narrowing it down. I mean, the number of people who were uh, considered. I mean, I, I do think Will Smith would have been good. I, I'm, a, I'm a Will Smith fan, but I mean, I mean, I even considered. I mean, Denzel was a little bit older, but I mean, I thought he might be a good person for this. Christian Bale popped into my mind. Eric Bana uh, was somebody I thought would be excellent for this. Eric Bana would be cool. Christian Slater. Um, even McGregor was somebody that crossed my mind. Um, just a better actor. Um, I think Brad... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, DiCaprio was actually offered this, and then, uh, it, didn't, it didn't work out. Um, DeCovney. It's so funny, um, man. <laughs> yeah. Edward Norton. I mean, um, I... This isn't a recast. This is Russell's objective list of better actors than Keanu Reeves. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Young Chris Evans, Johnny Depp. I mean, do you have a pulse? I mean, I mean, can you speak English? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can you read cue cards? Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, I know Kung Fu. Whoa. <laughs> um, sorry, Keanu. Martin Lawrence. He's such a likable guy, though. <laughs> uh, best shot. Uh, Chase. It's that shot of Neo turning around to face agent smith so if the shot is over his shoulder you see over his shoulder the steps that lead to escape and you got uh trinity you know in you know, 
talking she he can't hear, but just just run, Neo, run. And he, he turns to they he makes that choice, the, going back to the beginning, he makes that choice to turn to fight. He's starting to believe. He's, he's starting to believe. Yes. Yeah. Uh and he turns to face and fight rather than run. Um just shivers right there. And Chase, he does a kung fu pose so hard that dust flies off of him. Yeah, that's and after he, he gets, yeah. In, and then he reaches the hand out to beckon him forward. Yeah, which uh, is a re- Morpheus uh, callback from Morpheus. Yes. Yeah. And, and the idea that he's making the choice to like embrace who it is, there's a reason I'm jumping on him because that's also my best shot. Whoa. All right. Well, I got to be different then. Well, there were a lot of great ones. Part of me wants to pick. Trinity picking up the phone with the headlights coming at her in the beginning because I was just so sucked in and intrigued by that moment because you think that she's dead because you don't know that they travel through the phone. But it's hard not to just go ahead and say that 120 cameras photographing at the same time. The bullet time is influential. So like Keanu is falling back as the agent's firing at him. Yeah. It's cool. He gets hit. Um, he yeah. does. Takes him not fast enough. Um, Trinity, help! <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Best scene, best scene, Chase. It's Agent Smith's monologue to Morpheus, and it you know it starts it's it's cut up a little bit because it's you know same time as they're jacking in to come save him, but um, the beginning of when he's you know, looking over the city, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's great, and. It starts out with that, like I always, I love that it starts out with him saying how beautiful the Matrix is, and it ends with him talking about how he hates it, yeah, how disgusting it is. It's, it's the smell, like <laughs> you know, it's it's all of that that like just encompasses to me just uh, great, just great scene. I mean, uh, it's hard to you know go any further than that. Just great scene. Yeah, Dustin, best scene. It seemed impossible. I, I love the and adore the every scene. Uh, so, but uh, I think you said something earlier, which was like, when you think of the Matrix, what do you think of? And I, I think many would say that we think of the the storming the lobby scene with the spy break music, um, the slow motion involved because not everything is bullet time. There's the, there's a difference between slow motion and bullet time, but you get you get that. Uh, the, it, it is unapologetic like you know he walks through the metal detector guy sees every gun on him it, it, that that really kicks off sort of the the ending suite it is just so so cool which we've all three said about this movie it's hard to uh take away the cool points from that and, and i think what may be really good about this scene and others like it is there are several movies where the bad guys getting gunned down seem like they're just cannon fodder but these particular special forces that get brought down into the lobby seem like these guys are good and they're still getting, you know, waxed by Trinity and Neo. Uh, so great scene for me. Uh, is mine as well. There is a handstand where you pick up an assault rifle while doing a cartwheel <laughs> and firing while still completing the cartwheel. Uh, if that wasn't enough to do it, it's everything that Dustin just said. It's, it's the stratnel flying around all over the place. It's the way that the little tile just falls off the wall as they exit the scene. Everything about the scene is just sheer fun. There's nothing better in, in terms of action for me than this scene. Right. 
Trinity kicks the shotgun over the dude's shoulder and blasts him away right uh, away. There's no reloading. We could do this with the whole movie, by the way. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, we do sound like Chris Farley going, like, remember that? That was pretty cool. (laughs) That was awesome. I just can't say how much I love this scene, though. The metal detectors all the way to the elevators. It's amazing. Um, it's, and, and like you said, the, the, the propeller head spy break is not necessarily something I would have listened to on my own, but I edited it in my iPod after this. <laughs> yeah. I, didn't think of, I didn't think of it as like, this pumps me up, but it does now. <laughs> I, I listened to the Matrix soundtrack at the gym today. It was awesome. It felt great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, best wardrobe or makeup moment, Chase? The glasses for it is really what sticks out to me. The ones that they don't have anything going to the ears, they're just you know, stuck on that nose. It's like... It's that look that he has. It's, it's less, less the trench coat because you know, more than just him, he has it. But really, the, those those sunglasses are just they pop synonymous with him. It is synonymous with him. Yeah, yeah. All the glasses are handmade from the label Blinde. Uh, they uh, they they made from they made, they went there and they uh, into Sydney and they spent the duration of the Matrix shoot custom designing each of the sunglasses for each of the cast members. Um, uh, at a at an Oxford Street optometrist, so um, it's uh, a lot of craft went into all of the glasses in this one. So doesn't I think you told me that didn't you have a pair of? Uh, no, not Neos, but you are right. I did have uh, a three pair over the length of my high school and college career. I had uh, the pair of the the twins uh, uh, glasses when I played tennis in high school. I had uh, in two versions of Agent Smith's, the the more rectangular ones, and then in the second and third, he has more polygonal uh, style. But yes, and they were pretty penny, but they mattered to me. Well, mine are are actually Morpheus's glasses as well. So Dustin, is that yours as well? Well, I did want to mention that this is maybe the first movie ever where I was like, everything they're wearing is a 10 out of 10. Like everything that everyone is wearing. But maybe a little forgotten one, when they're uh, in the ship and waiting for like to potentially blow the EMP, uh, Morpheus puts on like a little beret. Do you remember this? It's something you can easily miss. Morpheus puts on a tiny little hat when they're waiting for a potential uh, squiddy strike, and like his battle hat is like this little black beret. I, it's very funny to me that that exists in the movie. No explanation. I like that. Good choice. Honorable mention for me is also Trinity. Just the, I mean, oh, the, uh, yeah. The black leather that, you know, just shining. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hot. <laughs> just, we'll just say that. Hot. <laughs> yeah. And uh, change one thing. If you could change one thing, Chase, what would it be? I would have liked... The, the scene is great with uh, Cypher talking with Agent Smith. You know, we find he's eating the steak. We find that out. But it also reveals the mole. A little too early for I would have liked that have to have been because oh, everything he says yeah. to Agent Smith really? he also yeah everything he says to Agent Smith he also says to Trinity and over the phone he has a he, big long like villainous he, yeah speech. he says basically the same thing twice if we were to hold that and find out that he is the mole towards the end like almost a twist not really a twist but almost just like a <gasps> that's who it is um, rather than just being like told it throughout the story i mean you know, small things i mean i again i i don't 
think there's anything wrong with the way they did it. By saying your entire world is fake, and I know, I wanted to hit me again. You know, and by the way, like the at the one third mark, you had your mind blown again because we're all living in jelly sacks, and we're going to be turned into Duracell batteries and blended up into a you know a smoothie to be fed to other humans to keep the farm going. I mean, I like how these these twists are kind of just like a very winding road. They're not like crazy, crazy. They're they're not. They don't jar you. Uh, like I think you're led. You've got kind of a, a map. Again, well, we're, they, we're growing on jelly pods. Did that not jar you? <laughs> it, yeah, it did. It did. And they mention they mention because the the agents talk about they have a I forget exactly what they call them. You know, uh, an informant or whatever. They mention in there, um, and so you know there is somebody in in the ship. But uh, they kind of just hit you over the head with it. Justin, change one thing. I would love a little more meaningful time with APOC, Switch, and Mouse. I believe that their presence is fleeting on purpose. I think you you don't get that much time, and that's okay. You are meant to want more with them. I'm not sure it is okay. Well, I I want more. Um, One of the things I've learned, uh, you know, throughout the years is that there's a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor that no documentary, no Blu-ray is ever going to see. And so I'd love the idea that, like, you know, they go on their own little mini adventure or APOC and Switch have a connection. That's great. What is it? That's really good. I might like that even better than mine. Well, what is yours? Well, I was going to say just cut down the amount of exposition. I mean, like, mm, Neo yeah. asks, like, literally 42 <laughs> questions in the first half of this movie. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Like, it's literally somebody counted and it's just like, wow, it's more than I thought. But, yeah, when, when, when Switch says, no more 20 questions, copper top, meaning that he'll be made into a battery later, not that he has auburn hair. Um, it is a sick burn on a <laughs> to call yeah. someone a battery. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, when she says that. I can't unsee that now. It's a good line in the movie, but unfortunately, it, it, it kind of like it fits Keanu Reeves again. Of just like, yeah, yeah, he is clueless. I'm like, so yeah. If uh, if it's by any of the, if is the character so dumb for so, for being a smart person? Why does he have to ask so many questions? Why can't he just be taking it all in? Do we need a Morgan Freeman narrated? No, like, <laughs> no, we don't. Thomas Anderson exited the re- the matrix and entered the real world in 1942 I said we don't need it and get it to me <laughs> best quote chase uh no surprise here going with my man hugo uh, best scene monologue is i hate this place this zoo this prison this reality whatever you want to call it i can't stand it any longer it's the smell if there's there is such a thing i feel saturated by it I can't take your stink, and every time I do, I fear that I somehow have been infected by it. And he says, it's repulsive, and he sticks his fingers up, up uh, Morpheus' nose because he's got that... I mean, he's saying this with the sweat... He's touching the sweaty head of Morpheus. It's just... Yeah. Uh, just as he says it and delivers it with that... Again, the, if I was to take just one sentence, it's where he says, it's the smell. It's the smell. Like, like, uh, it just, it hits and, you know, that's right when he just goes and grabs him by the head. He's like, I got to get out. I have to get out. And it just, uh, it was very impactful. I thought you might be going with the, one of these has a future. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Another good one. Um, yeah. Dustin, how about you? 
Do not try to bend the spoon. That's impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. What truth? There is no spoon. <laughs> Thank you. And the, the, there's an end to the quote, but I like it just right there. There is no spoon. Because he then repeats it later when he blasts up the elevator shaft. Um, there is no spoon can really be a kind of cool mantra for you as a human being in this world to accomplish anything you think you can. Also, Dustin, don't let that be the last time in this podcast you channel a British child impression. It's excellent. I love it. Thank you. Um, Morpheus uh, is going to get mine again. Uh, I, I'm one note like Chase on this one. I, I just like I like Morpheus. So uh, when he just goes, you have to let it all go. Neo, fear, doubt, and disbelief. Free your mind. Um, yeah. Pew. Words that shouldn't get me as jacked up as they do, but they just, they do. It's so cool. And lean in, because he leans in at the end with those glasses. Free your mind. Yeah, like, I mean, it uh, makes me want to pop off my headphones on the podcast. Just take a good, like, circle around the room and put my fist in there and go, yeah! Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. All right. This is obligatory, probably, but on a five-star scale, Chase, what would you give this movie? Uh, I mean... After all the gushing we've done, the the cultural impact of it, it's got, it's got to be five out of five for me. Um, you know, it's you know high standards to to give five out of five when you're saying it's a perfect movie. Um, but I, I just, in good conscience, can't give it anything less. It's reasonable, totally reasonable. And Dustin, um, on the podcast, I gave Scream a five star because it's a perfect movie. And I gave Monty Python the Holy Grail a five star because I don't remember what my sense of humor was before knowing what Monty Python was. Uh, and The Matrix is going to get a five stars from me. It may be the most transformative movie I've ever seen. And its lasting impact speaks for itself. I can't say anything else. I think I've I think I've gone on enough times. I, I'm horrible about uh, reserving my ratings when I love something. I just I've worn it on my sleeve and I can't not. I love the Matrix. It's a five. I mean, I'd it's give it if I could. Best I'd give it this. Yeah, I could. I could go seven if I had to. <laughs> Dustin knows I'm a lot more easy with my fives. I, I throw them out there all cavalier. So like Dustin, Dustin waits for these moments where he sits there and says, "This this one's really special." I'm just gonna say five with a little heart emoji after it. It it kind of it it, it kind of stinks because I knew I was gonna give it a five before I even rewatched it. When it came across our short list, I was like, "Oh, well, that's a five star movie." Um, it had been a little while since I had rewatched it, and I was a little bit afraid of like it's like I do think I watched love movies at a higher level, and the critics like do sit there dock it, and I I knew I knew all the Keanu issues I had with it, but I went in back into it, and the effects aged way better than I thought they did, and I was like, wow, it's been a long time since this came out now. I mean, well, it's been two decades. And I also it's think still the, really good. I also think the appeal is broad, but it, it's not all encompassing. There are people that just kind of like, I don't really like that, and yeah, I would mother. never, I would <laughs> never try to, I would never try to like convince them that the movie can get better for them. If you're outside of the, if you're in the wedge that doesn't appreciate or like this movie, there's nothing for you. Uh, if you're in the wedge, it will always be floating around your top ten for how good it accomplished its mission. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Dustin, you can help me pick a movie for next time, man. Yeah, let's hope. Uh, let's hope we get another five star uh, option in this mix. Now, we discussed in our best. What are the best decades for horror? Like the '90s 
that was not the best genre uh, to be in for horror. But at the turn of the millennium, there was a rebirth for horror. There were about there were about three or four movies that really changed the direction of how horror was being made and how it was received. And um, you know, again, it, these were pivotal movies. Maybe not as pivotal as The Matrix was, but still pretty pivotal for the horror genre. So, option one. The Blair Witch Project from 1999. Three film students vanish after traveling into the Maryland forest to do a film documentary on the local Blair Witch legend, leaving only their footage behind. Option two, The Sixth Sense. A frightened, withdrawn Philadelphia boy communicates with spirits to seek the help of a disheartened child psychologist. And option three, The Ring from 2002. A journalist must investigate a mysterious videotape which seems to have caused the death of anyone one week to the day after they view it. I think Chad would be proud, as I've seen all three of these. This was my like horror heyday, and I'm happy to say we got to do the ring. You have seven days. <laughs> then we're gone, and then you yeah. guys can stop tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> well, there goes the podcast. That's it. <laughs> I would like to end it like that, but I can't. I have to say thank you, Chase. You've been a great guest. It's been a lot of fun to have you on, man. I appreciate y'all having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Hopefully I can do it again. Dude, Dude thanks, thanks for, for the, the pick, pick too. too. You know, if you keep picking movies this good, you have to come back on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There you go. Uh, I'll bring a five star next time. All yeah. Right. Thank you all the lords, ladies, and nice the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Just a 30-second rating on iTunes does so much to help the show. It helps us come up with searches. We really appreciate that. Give us a like on Facebook. We just like to have our fans all there to see. Every week we come out with little posts and stuff like that. So we love to hear engagement from you guys. We, we definitely love to build a community here. Email us at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. And providing and producing this podcast is fun, but not free. So we invite you to support the show on our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash RetroMovieRoundtable. All contributions are appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Dustin? No one was going to hand me my future. It was up to me to reach for my dream, grab it tight, and make it come true.